Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Launch Day Podcast. It's your go-to place to launch a business, to start a business, to grow a business, to scale a business. And we're interviewing people that have amazing shorts. Oh, geez, man, I'm, I'm killing my entire intro. Amazing stories to share, right? And Tony is right across from me. Tony Taraf is on the show today. And Tony, we were just talking about being a little bit nervous. I just screwed up. I don't really care. And it's got to be published anyway. So, mate, I hope that helps calm your nerves, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's, thanks, uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, you're very welcome, mate. We're very happy to have you here. Mate, look, tell us about you. So, who is Tony Tara? The only way that I know you right now is the guy that's messaging in a WhatsApp group <laughs> at 5.30 o'clock every bloody morning. Whoa, you know, like I, don't, I can't even get up at that time, dude. So, yeah, uh, uh, well, here's, here's some context as to why I get up at five thirty in the morning. Um, thirty six. I'm thirty six. Builder by trade. Um, love my job. Three kids, six, five, and one and a half. Love it. Um, I love them to bits, and an amazing wife. And the morning routine is basically because I've got to get up and going because I know what I need to do that day and every day um, for them. So that's my morning routine. Um, for um, a bit more about me, basically, uh, like I said, three kids with, um, three kids and a, a building company. Um, Sounds like a, the start for a movie plot, you know? Three, yeah. Three kids and a, movie com- a building company, I love it. Yeah, let's see where that goes. That's a good movie plot. Um, how you got me on the movies? Maybe I should make a movie. It's not a, you know, how many people I've actually spoken to that are like, man, I just want to record what happens in, in my warehouse because the amount of shit that goes yeah. on. You know what I mean? Like, you'd make a good Netflix series out Almost of reality TV. Um, no, so, um, yeah, that's, that's basically my life um, at the moment. Um, uh, hobbies and, and interests. I mean, I follow NRL Rugby League, um, I like watching them watching the games and that during during uh, winter. Um, my son is heavily into soccer now, so I have to learn that. I've never really been a soccer fan, but uh, I have to learn that now, um, and I'm enjoying that too. He rattles on, you know, um, names and clubs and stuff like that that I have no idea. So you're like more of like a footy fan, is that right? I'm more of a footy fan, yeah. yeah. So I'm how, more of a footy. how does your son end up going? Uh, <laughs> well, I think school, really. Yeah, soccer's becoming really um, big in schools and and clubs and stuff like that. So, um, I think he gets it from school, his friends, and he plays. Um, he plays. For I'm him. sure if he was here right now, he'd be correcting you, saying, "No, no, it's not soccer, Dad. It's football." You know? Yeah, he probably would be. <laughs> he probably would be. If they would try and call the soccer, he would be correcting you. Uh, but but yeah, um, yeah, you know, you'd be saying, "Is mate, if you don't pay rent, then it's soccer." You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. That is um is good. Um yeah, I mean that's 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 me in a nutshell, man. Like 
Well, very, very, the, very basic work, family, and and life. Love it. Explains the five thirty wake ups, man. Because like I said, I, I wake up like I don't know seven thirty. That's yeah. that's kind of my time where I wake up and I look at my phone. And I'm like, man, this guy is on the pump. It's like, you know, tell me if you set up like some automations or something like that into posting <laughs> WhatsApp every day or are you actually doing it yourself? Look, uh, I haven't been asked that before, but I know people would probably think that. But I am not the least techie person, but um, that's definitely not something I can set up. So okay. there's no way there's any automation in that. Um, I'm up at, you know, 4, 4.30 every morning. Um, what time do you go to bed? ready. I'm a bit of an early sleeper, uh, or if you call this early, by the time the kids go to bed, you know, and I have a little bit of downtime, um, probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Okay. Um, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a 12, one, two o'clock. So like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to do the math here, right? Like that sounds like six hours sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you manage with that? Yeah. Should we rewrite your name instead of Tony Tariffs, now Elon Musk? Or <laughs> <laughs> I want to get, I want to get to, I want to get to that level. No, no, I want to get to that level, but, um. But yeah, it's enough. It's enough for me. I mean, look, I, look, I have my days. You know, there are days. You know, uh, I, I you know, alarm goes off at four, four thirty, and I'm like, you know, not today. Yesterday was a big day. You know, I've got a big day today, or or you know, whatever. Um, and and I don't go. Mm. But um, I'd say ninety five, ninety eight percent of the time, I'm I'm up at that time and and go through and you know. Obviously, if it wasn't to go to the gym in the morning, I wouldn't be up at that time. There's no need for me me to be up at four thirty if I'm just going to go to work. Mm. Um, but because I I have that routine, it's the only time in the day I get. You know, morning is the only time in the day I get. Afternoons after a whole day's worth of work and headaches, you know, I, that's the last time. That's the last thing I want to I want to do. And plus, I want to be home. Yeah, you know, let's try to get home as much as I can. It makes me curious, right? And, and I've actually never really understood this concept. But, you know, like when you go out on a job site, especially if it's in a residential area, your construction, the time that you're allowed to start construction is 7 a.m., Yep. right? Um, yeah, other places, not so much, but they're more regional. But, you know, in, in Sydney, Sydney Metro, it's 7 a.m. start. So what the hell are you doing between 4 and 7? Like it's three whole hours. So I've always been curious, right? Like I've been like, okay, there's all these builders that say they get up at four o'clock and I go, what the hell are you guys doing? Like you don't start till seven. This is this is very interesting and a, and a very interesting question because it's actually what I'm trying to convey um, in uh, my my personal brand and um, and basically to try and get out there to people because you're right. What does a builder do if you can't start before seven? Mm. There is a lot of background work um, that goes into building that nobody sees. So the the preparation, the organisation, the you know the the getting materials to site, the organising the boys to make sure they're there on time, you know all that happens outside of seven to three, mm. you know, seven to three thirty, seven to four, whatever you however long you want to call it. Um, generally, seven to three thirty, seven to four o'clock is your your day's worth of work. Um, there's a lot that happens outside that, and uh, that doesn't get seen. Nobody sees that. Um, it's all about, you know, how quick can you get, you know, the concrete down? How quick can you get the frame up? How quick can you get the jibrock on? How quick can you get the roof covered up? You know, it's all about how quick, how quick, how quick. But seeing it go up from stage to stage, there's so much in between. 
there's so many things in between that doesn't get seen, doesn't get talked about, doesn't get acknowledged. Um, it's just get the frame up or get the roof on, or get the slab mm-hmm. down. You know, that's all lazy. So exactly, you know, that, that's I wake up seven thirty, and I'm just hearing these boys outside my house because I live in a new residential area. You know, that's all I'm hearing is, "Yeah, I get this up. What are you doing?" And they're, they're bloody yelling at each other, man. Boy. What the hell are they yelling at each other for? <laughs> Come on, that's that's um that's almost normal. Uh, and and to be honest, I I, I want to try and change that. I mean, yes, it's construction. Yes, we're outside. Yes, we're loud. Yes, we're in machinery, and you know, we're not we're not a library you know you're not going to get a construction site with no with no noise and everything getting done mm. but um what you said is what everybody sees as a construction site you know loud yelling screaming swearing you know you know stuff like that it's so it's not what it is it's no it is what it is <laughs> but it's what i'm trying to change it's what yeah. i'm trying to change the perception of it needs to sort of i feel like needs to sort of change okay um not all builders are like that not all tradies are like that and um, and I and I think because it's not spoken about ever. How well are you exactly going to change it? Like, are you talking about you sending the boys to work with duct tape over their mouth, or like you no, know no, what I mean? Like, no, for, for, me, pioneering, for me, <laughs> bubble wrap and duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <he meant. laughs> no, no. For me, it's more. Uh, it's more. It's more about respect. You know, like for example, for our on our jobs, right. Um, so many times we go to other job sites and, and the boys just have the radio just on full ball, 7 a.m., you know, full ball, full blast. Yeah. Some of the things they play too is like, you know, turn it down. Um, questionable as well. Questionable yeah, too. Like you might have Susie next door. She's got a, you know, a five-year-old, five-year-old daughter or son. Exactly. Look, like I've got two daughters too, right? So for me, it's like, you know, well, you didn't know that? Well, you didn't know that. You look surprised when I said no, no, I did. Oh, I've been listening to your podcast. Yeah, good, good. And <laughs> perfect. So, like, I've got two daughters as well. And the last thing is, is, like, I'm walking around. And I look, I'm guilty as well. I swear, you know, not all the time, but a good portion of my time, right? It's part of my vocabulary. But especially around my kids, I, I tone it down a lot. Uh, but some of the stuff you're hearing, you know, it concerns me. I'm like, I'm taking my kids to school. They go out. There's a job, there's a job site across the road. You know what I mean? And then, bang, these boys are sitting at a UF and this and... And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, cover your ears, get in the car, quick, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's some kind of horror story developing there, you know? It is, it is. And, um, and that's normal. That's what it's known for. That's what construction industry is known for. That that's, mm. it's normal. That's, that's what the norm is. Now, um, is it right? It's been there. It's been like that for so long that people say, yeah, it's right. That's just what it is. Mm. You know, that, that's how it is. That's how it runs. That's how it's been for years. And so, therefore, it's right. Um, but really, it's not. Like, I know, I know with, with my boys, yes, you can have the radio. But have the radio, but think about the neighbors and think about other people around you when you put the radio on. Mm. Right? Machinery, machinery is machinery. You can't do anything about that. You know, we've got to obviously get the job done too. So, you know, seven o'clock, the machinery is on, you know, we can't really do much about that. But what we can sort of control, we try to control. Um, and one of the things is is that, you know, exactly what you said. And it's not like that everywhere, but that's the norm. So now everybody thinks that whenever they you know, engage a builder, 
that's what they're going to get. They're expecting, mm-hmm. yeah, swearing on site. They're expecting radios. They're expecting all this, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, when really not everyone is like that, mm-hmm. and that's something I don't. Um, that's something I don't support with my boys on the, you know, in my company. Um, yeah, we have challenges with some subcontractors that come through and that's how they do it elsewhere and, and stuff like that. And we have to, you know, say to them, that's not how we do it here. Um, but internally with, with, you know, with the, um, with our boys, that, that doesn't, that doesn't really go on um, or it's not accepted. Mm. Um, and it's all based around respect. Right, um, you can't just have what you want, and that's it. Just because you're doing your job, mm. fantastic, you're doing your job. That's great. It doesn't mean you know everybody else can't get respected because you're doing your job. Mm. Um, and it's just a thought process of look outside. You know, don't have tunnel vision. Mm. Yeah, you know, get get out of the tunnel vision. Look at other things around. Yeah, you're focused on getting your job done, and that's the way you do it. But look at other things as well around you. Um, and that leads into things I've learned because I come growing up in construction. That's what it was. I know it's what it was. I, I used to do it. <laughs> yeah. I used to be. I used to be that person. Um, you just imagine you. I. I. I you know, I do. Is, you know what I mean. Oh, I. I do. I, I. I remember doing it, and now I think back and it's like, yeah, I did it, but it wasn't right. It's not right. You're only thirty six, right? Six. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it like yesterday? You <laughs> no, no, I get it. I wish. It. You I know wish. what it is? You, you, you grow up, you have kids, you know what I mean? That's a massive influence. And you've got, so is it one son or two? Two sons and a daughter. Two sons and a daughter. You're lucky because I've got two daughters. You know, I'm thinking I might have to invest in a shotgun or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And no boys to look out for them, right? Um, but, you know, especially especially that and having having kids and then you start asking yourself that question too. You're like, mm, you know, but what, like that's my assumption from like, what, what was the change for you? Like what flipped the switch for you? Um, in that sense, it was, it would have been you're growing up pretty much. Yeah. Mm. Growing up and, you know, having kids and getting to you know, mature, maturing properly to a mature age mm. where that sort of stuff becomes big. When you start teaching your kids respect, then you start looking to yourself. When you have nobody to teach respect to, your your thoughts on respect is what you always thought was normal. I feel like it has more to, like, there's more to this than just that. I know 50-year-old concreters with children that are spitting out, see you next Tuesday every three minutes. Yeah. Do you know <laughs> You know what I mean? So, like, you know, for me, I feel like there's it's more it's more you than it is just about growing up and having kids because everyone grows up and has kids. Well, not everyone, but for most people, for the majority of the population, will grow up and have kids. So, you know, I, I look at that and I say, well, maybe Tony's just the person who's different that's making the change. You know, like, and I'm trying to I'm trying to dig a little deeper here. Right? Was there something that you know, did you go to church one day and feel like you're about to be set on fire or something? You know what I mean? Like, what happened? Was there a specific no. moment that you faced where you were like, okay, hey, you know, like, what's, uh, um, this, this big change is happening for you? you know? It was, okay, it was, it was a small thing. Well, I, I guess it wasn't a small thing, but it was a thing that sort of made me think about it. And then it, it evolved to much more than that. So, mm. um, I 
From 2016, I opened up my own company and we do residential. That's all we do, residential homes. Um, and 2016 through to 17, 18, 19, you know, the market was strong, you know, getting work with no problems. So um, we saved, we bought our own property, um, me and my wife, and we built our own home. That process of building our own home was pretty much the foundation of me sort of trying to change that aspect of building because when I built my own home, the neighbors were my neighbors. Mm. You know, the, the, the property was my property. Mm. The land was my land. The, the job was, was our house. So while, while you can go and build, you know, a home for you know, Bob and Jane down the road, their neighbors are not your neighbors. Their house, not your house. Their land is not your land. So the the mentality changes when things aren't yours mm-hmm. in everything, not just that. So even with even for example with the tools for the company, tools go missing. It happens. Um, but when it comes repetitive, it's like boys, we just bought this. Where did it go? Oh, I don't know. You don't know because you didn't pay for it. It's not yours, mm. right? It's not yours. So when you pay for something or when when something is yours you look at it differently as to having it when it's not yours and i know tools are on a small scale we're talking you know a house and a building and a you know a, a home um but that's where it all started you know i was very cautious about my neighbors i wanted them to stay you know happy because we were moving in i was very cautious about um you know the the site itself being nice and clean and you know um a lot of access and, and rooms to do things there was, uh, I had a lot of thought about the actual building itself, like vision of, you know, this has got to go here, this has got to go there, that's got to go here. Now, my personal preference or our personal preference versus someone else's personal preference is different, of course. Mm. But the the care and the thought was there. And, um, you know, that's where sort of it started. Well, that's where it started heavily. I always, I always had this. I've always had this respect for everybody. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't. I don't respect anybody, but I always had this respect for everybody. But that's where it started to say, you know, in our company now, no, there's none of that. Right? Strict rule. Have your radios fine. Dull it down. Keep it to where you're working, and you know, have a look at the content you actually play. It's not a music festival. You're working exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's where it actually started, and uh, not until um, recently did I sort of keep thinking about it and say, you know what, this needs to be known. This needs to this needs to go out because the stereotypical um, builder that gets thrown around in the media, especially now, is um, is just that. Mm. Yeah, that's what everybody knows. Like you said, like you, you said it before I ever said anything. Screaming, yelling, you know, that's a typical builder. You know, what are you talking about, Tony? Yeah. Well, this is sort of what I'm talking about. It doesn't need to be that. It doesn't have to be that. Nor does it help the project to be that. It doesn't help in any other way. It's not like if you don't do it, you're going to get a better outcome. Mm. You're not. 
it's it probably vice versa. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's where it sort of came from. So you're digging deeper. There's your, there's your answer. There you go. So you're building your own house and then you were now, now it became a, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm worried about my neighbors. I'm worried about the people around me. That kind of amplified it. So you're always very respectful. Now it's just amplified. You know, you're like, oh, you know, I really need to pay attention to this because I'm sure my neighbors appreciated it. Did, did any of them actually tell you that they appreciated it or was it just an assumption? They, they didn't tell me, but they didn't have to because not, not to say I beat them to it, but <laughs> I, I, I communicated, mm. you know, hey, this fence is coming down. This boundary fence is coming down. Um, we're not going to be able to get it up in a, in a day's worth of work. We're going to have to put some temporary fencing here. Um, we'll get it done as soon as possible. But once it's done, we'll take down the temporary fence. You have a brand new fence, mm. right? Not pull the fence down, wait for him to come and complain about yeah, what it, are you doing? and then and then fix it up. You know, mm. does that fall under respect? I mean, in a way, it does, mm. but not so much as as a respect, like um, on a personal level, as in just talking to someone more of a respect as in look this is what we're doing there's no other way around it unfortunately that's what's going to happen but we'll get it done um asap you know i learned something recently right never really occurred to me i think i've always done it subconsciously but now it's become even more conscious and one thing that's really occurred to me is you'll never get the right appreciation from someone unless you tell them what to appreciate so, for example, uh, let's just say you do this podcast. And for those listening as well, Tony's part of our, uh, our Amplify program to boost his personal brand. It's amazing. The thing is, is that if Tony, after all of this, I didn't come back to you and say, hey, Tony, listen, man, I just want to let you know on your personal brand profile and everything else, we've actually increased your viewership by 12,000 views this month, right? You wouldn't actually know, know that unless I told you. So unless I actually invite you and tell you what to appreciate, you will never actually be able to truly appreciate the work we do. So it goes to say like, for example, if you were working with someone and maybe there was a couple of problems and defects, maybe they go in there because with construction, it's it's inevitable, right? Yeah. Things, things are always breaking down. Things always need to be fixed. Just part of the whole rigmarole, right? That's why they created legislation around it. If it wasn't that big of a problem, you know what I mean? You would have legislation around it, right? Correct. So the thing is, is that people often, you know what? Perfect. Adrian Patelli. Yep. Right? You know the guy? Lambo guy. Lambo guy. <laughs> Perfect. Adrian Patelli gives away a $4 million house, $4.5 million house. He showcases a video of them going in and having a look around with everything. And the entire behind the scenes footage is them nitpicking at all these problems in the house. And the whole time, like, okay, some people you just can't please. But for the ones that are reasonable, you know, if you don't actually point out what to appreciate, they're just going to keep nitpicking and they're, they're always going to be unhappy with what you've done. Does that make sense? So, so I've actually learned, it's, it's funny how you say that, how you, you had that, took that extra step forward of being in front of your, your neighbors and things like that. Because for you, that's a subconscious level of what you're doing. A conscious level would be going to them and saying, oh, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that I'm doing this. I thought I'd give you all the courtesy in the world. I'm sure. And actually telling them, I'm sure you would appreciate it. Mm. Oh, yeah, we do. 
right? There's nothing cocky about that. Like you, you know, you can you can make that sound a lot cockier, but obviously you don't want to do that. Yeah. But but actually telling them what to appreciate is going to go a really long way. Yeah. And you know, you see that thing, the whole thing with Andrew, Adrian Patelli and that four and a half million dollar house. They said, I, I couldn't believe it. You just paid twenty bucks for a ticket. You just got a four and a half million dollar house, and you're like, oh. Whoever did the plastering on that roof is going to have hell for me. It's like, bro, <laughs> you know what I mean? If it's got a problem, fix it yourself. It's a four and a half million dollar house you just got for 20, 20 bucks. bucks. You know what I mean? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, you know, people will never actually really know how to appreciate you and the things that you do unless you actually tell them to and tell them precisely what to appreciate. Yeah, We get it here, marketing agency, sometimes... You know, maybe an extra clip might slide into a video by accident or something like that, right? And then it gets pulled up and it's like, oh, okay, no worries, we'll fix it right away. So we go and fix it right away. But then we also have to communicate, hey, by the way, did you know that this video was one of your best performers and we included some new transitions and some new styles there and it actually looks really, really good. Minus the one little problem that was there, but that's okay. Like those things can always be fixed, you know, no big deal. We don't need to make a big deal out of it. But communicating what needs to be appreciated because otherwise people are always, just like those people that went through the house that Adrian Patelli gave them, right? They will never actually know to appreciate yeah. those things. You know what I mean? They'll always nitpick at everything that is wrong. Do you know what I mean? 100%. 100%. And that is massive in building because while, while you're doing, yeah, say, marketing, and you have a little clip that you know, slides in by accident and you pick up on it and you change it. Yeah. Um, when you change it, it's it's changed and it's done. And that's, you know, not water under the bridge, but it's it's sorted. You've spoken to the client. You know, they're all happy, all good. Yeah, no problem. With building, it's so different because it's on such a bigger, such a big scale. You know, you've got multiple things that can go wrong. Yeah, like, like you know, if the joists are 25, two, you know, 25 to a 250 mil instead of 300 on one side and 300 on the other, you've got a big problem. Got a big problem. Yeah. You know, and and that's a big problem, but... <laughs> I, but I went extreme, <laughs> went extravagant. Yeah, right? You went extravagant, but, <laughs> um, but even the little problems, the what we're seeing is as soon as that little problem happens, mm. it, it sort of... Um, the how can I put this? The level of attention to the problems just grows mm. throughout the whole process. It there there's no more looking at what goes right. Mm. So you have yeah, for example, and and it's worse when it's earlier in the in the in, in the stage. Mm. So you have you have a an issue with you know your slab. Right, it's a small area that that's that's poured a bit out of out of whack. Yeah, even even one degree, yeah. one degree off, and it's a big deal. Yeah. It is. It's a big deal. Yeah. Now, that can be easily fixed, especially if you're if you're planning to do tiling throughout the throughout the house. A bit of extra grout on one side. Extra sediment on one side, you're done. Right, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. But that one small issue that is fixed during a process that you have to do anyway it's not like you have to introduce a new process the process of putting down the sand and cement bed for the tiling has to be done regardless so that small issue 
all of a sudden, throughout the whole build, it's all about the what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. Not that looks good. Thanks for that. Mm. That's cool. That's a good idea. You know, why don't we change this to this? There's no more of that. It's all about what's wrong with this? Why is it done like this? Why is it done like that? Yeah, this doesn't look right. That doesn't look right. So, and recently, especially with, you know, um, builders going undub, going bust, it's really up there with the with that sort of stuff. You think like the, the builders going bust, I think it's a bit of a two, two-part approach because I think the other problem is, is that banks have stopped giving those cap the, the capital to them on, on increments they have to have their own capital to complete projects before the bank lends them any money for the builders yeah so that that's for builders who are investing mm. so uh, um yes but now you're seeing all the all the smaller lenders smaller players coming out with you know offers big big offers and stuff to get to get builders their funding um so builders will always get the funding one way or the other whether the banks give it to them or not, yeah, um, they'll get the funding. We deal mainly with homeowners, mm. so um, the the funding is through them, not through us. Yeah, right? so the bank, yeah, that's right. They go and apply for the they go to apply for the loan, that's or right. they've got yeah. some some funds or whatever, and they yeah, yeah got up, get the rest of it from the bank. Got it. Got it. Um, so it's not so much about the funding; it's more it's more about the if you have the funds to do it. And you build mm. now with all the hype in the media about builders going bust. Mm. Builders are being stereotyped to a point where they're all the same, and they're all the same as the worst one so far. And then when another one goes under, and they're worse than that worst one, then they're then they're all that they're all at that level mm-hmm. too. So it's a big, it's very um, stereotyped, um, and. The hesitation we're seeing with clients, just just talking, like you know, we we give them a a quote or an estimate. They say, yeah, it's you know, let's let's have a chat. That first, the first discussion, the first chat is so tense, mm. so tense. Maybe you just look scary. Oh. <laughs> well, really? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I do. <laughs> Maybe I do. Um, no, but I, I hear it. I hear it elsewhere as well. So I'll <laughs> validate that. <laughs> uh, I hear it elsewhere as well. It's it's very tense, um, and it's tense to the point where you can just tell that they're talking to you, and they have no trust in you whatsoever. Mm. No trust at all. Nothing. Mm. Zero. So how do you build it? How do you get the trust? Um. And in a minute, I'll share I'll share something of my experience with builders that was actually really positive that I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I'll share that with you in a minute. It's very tech focused as well, but we'll come back to it. But how how does someone find trust in you? Well, okay, a better question. Yeah. What makes you trustworthy? The the discussions we have prior to signing the contract okay. makes us trustworthy because we don't just talk about. This is the price. This is what you get. Sign here. Mm. That's not. That's not our process. So our process for us is. Um, this is the price. Let's discuss within your budget. Yes. No. Maybe. Okay. How can we improve that? Uh, yes, it's in our budget. Okay. Great. You get all of these. 
No, it's not in our budget. Okay, look, what's your budget? We can take out this and this if they're not that important to you and that'll drop it down to your budget. You're happy with that. That's the first point of trustworthy because we're open. Yeah. We're talking about the contract. We're talking about the inclusions. We're talking about the budget. We're all open. I had a, like, so when I was looking at building my house, uh, that was one of the considerations. It was, I was talking to someone, uh, I won't name who, you know, they're probably going bust. Actually, they did go bust. Um, but it was a major builder and I was like, oh, okay. But, um, yeah, look, the, the joinery that you're doing there in the kitchen with all the extra joinery, I go, that's completely unnecessary. Just put a bloody shelf there. What do you need all this extra stuff for? Blah, blah, blah. Cabinetry, glass windows. They go, oh, no, but that's part of the package. And I went, yeah, but it's also going to save me two grand, you know? And I'm like, I'd rather put that two grand on a better oven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like... You know what I mean? So like there's a lot of money that I could distribute. Oh, no, so we can't do that because that's that, that's our standard package. And I understand why. They've probably got partnerships and agreements to for, for bulk supply and that's why they've right. got them in there. You're right. But, you know, at the same time, it does lose a little bit of that touch where I'm just like, I feel like I don't get choice around my house. I don't get choice in my home, you yeah. know? And for a lot of people, it's their, their home for the next 40 years. You're right. So it's a, it's, a big, it's a big decision, you know what I mean? You don't want to be renovating in 10 years. You're, you're 100% right. And, um, and they do give you decisions, but they give you decisions based on um, a package. Correct. This is the package. Oh, but I don't like that package. I want this package. That's fine. You can go with this package. Oh, but can we swap this? And this? No. That's it's right. that or that. That was the experience that, I had. That was the and and that's that's the that's all the major you know um, project home builders that that's how they operate and that's how they turn over volume and and that's how they get the pricing down to the level of you know where they get it down to. Mm. Now approach a private builder or approach us and tell us to match their pricing. We can't because we don't have that sort of setup. Mm nor do we want that sort of setup um, because for us, and here's something for you, for us, we don't build houses. We don't, we don't build houses, you know, five, six, seven a year. We build homes. This is something that someone's, you know, either life savings or a big loan has been taken out to build this home for them and their family. All right, so... How can you deny someone what they want in their own home, like what you just experienced? Mm. Right. Um, now, I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, "Yeah, well, your pricing's up here, and their pricing's down here." Okay, that's that's uh, sacrifice or compromise. Mm. If if you don't have the funds, or don't want to wait another two years or three years to save the funds to do it with us to be at you know, this level where you get to choose, you know, every single thing that goes into your house and be a part of the experience, then your compromise is down here and you've got to make this selection of this package or not, or that package, and that's what you get. Um, so we're very different in that, in that aspect. Um, but the biggest thing for us is we don't want to just be known as builders of houses, house builders and whatever. But we're building your home, we're building your home and we want it to be your preference, your selections, your ideas. We want to work with you. We don't just want 
we don't just want you to hand us the keys and say, call me when you're done. That's right. right? We want you to be involved. That's right. To an extent, you know, we obviously don't want you running the project because we need to, <laughs> right. we need to, we need to obviously implement our our way of doing things. But you in terms of selections, you know? yeah, we don't need micromanaging. But um, in terms of selections and you know colors and stuff like that, I mean, we want the clients to be part of that. Mm. You know, we don't want to say no. You're getting this. One thing I appreciated was being taken on site, actually seeing what's happening. Do you know what I mean? Like the. And, like the, I get the security concerns, or well not security, but safety concerns around that. They don't have a white card, whatever. Yeah. Um. You know what I mean. But at the same time, like, like like you said, right? You keep your workplaces, your you know your work sites clean. You know what I mean. You, you would probably make preparations for someone to come out there and have a look. But that was important to me, right? I was like, yeah, I need to. So I'm I'm seeing this thing go up, and I'm like, okay, you know, where does this go? How does that fit in? And then understanding that, so. And it has nothing to do with nitpicking it. It's actually just visualizing the dream. Yeah. We're so close. It actually gets people so hyped up and puts it in a really good mood. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know if you knew that, but that's when people are like, oh yeah, can I see? Can you walk me through it? Uh, you know, it's, it, it is nothing to do with, you know, oh, I want to make sure it's been done right. Yeah. It has everything to do with, I'm trying to visualize my dream becoming a reality. And the more you tap into that, the more, you know, the little things that happen that, you know, most houses when they're built, you know, go through the little errors or fixes that need to be to be amended or fixed. That's you know, water under the bridge Wine. to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that customer experience throughout that is probably paramount in the entire process. And that's what I was going to tell you earlier, right? Was that for me, it was the touch points. So a lot of people don't think about this, but you know, if you have the right software for your project management. And you do a certain, let's just say you get, you know, all your all your timber frames, all your metal steel frames up, and then now you're about to, you know, to do the roofing. So triggering an automation that then emails and messages the customer. And the thing is you can actually set it up so that way it comes from your mobile phone, even though you don't send it, right? Goes to the customer saying, hey, Tony, just want to let you know the team's just finished with putting all the, the frames up. We're about to start on the roof. We're making great progress. You know what I mean? Um, so, and that was automated. So every single time the project, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have some sophisticated ma like project manager, maybe just a simple step one, step two, step three, step four. And then once it's up to step one or step two, someone marks it as completed. And then that, that message, that email is sent. So for me, I got that experience. But it was funny because I set up that experience for that person as well. You knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, but at the same time, receiving it and actually seeing it, it wasn't that I was proud of my work, but I actually felt really connected. I was actually genuinely reminded that good work is happening and I've been kept in the loop. So there's ways that you can keep people in the loop without even actually speaking with them. And it makes like the massive, massive difference, especially in, in the psychology of things, right? And that's something that I'm really good at is marketing psychology, yeah. right? How do people react and respond to what they see? Are they, is it emotionally striking? And if it's not, how do we make it emotionally striking? Because at the end of the day, Tony, all right, let's, let's on that topic, right? Why do you, do you have insurance for your car? Yeah, of course. Why? Accidents happened. Accidents, right? So you were afraid of that you're going to hit a Lambo or Lambo guy, one or the other, <laughs> right? yeah. and you're going to be out for $150,000, $200,000 repair. Of course. 
Yeah, and you don't want to be out of pocket for that. Nope. Right. So we just say, well, what kind of a, what kind of feeling is that? What kind of emotion is that? Buying insurance. Why do you buy it? What social is it? Protected. Fear. Oh well, yeah. You feel protected from it, but yeah, you buy it because of. Because so the feeling you get after you pay for the insurance is reassurance, yeah. right? But the feeling you have to buy it to actually want to make a purchasing decision is fear. And so every single marketing touch point that you have has to be emotionally driven. No one really thinks about this. Everyone thinks, oh yeah, marketing is just, oh yeah, here's what we do and here's the price and oh yeah, it's value to this. But it's, it's really, what gets you here is, is the emotion, right? What is the emotional feeling? What is the, and it could be the motivation, it could be the aspiration, it could be, there's a whole long list of things that it could be that actually drive that person to having that higher purchase intent or making that purchasing decision with you. It's all emotionally driven. And it's before, during, and after those, all three of those touch points. And, you know, we, we, we've learned, both learned about that on that customer journey of, you know, getting started, the marketing, the sales, and then the delivery, and then what happens afterwards. So you can have them as a long-term customer, a repeat customer, right? We've learned all of these things, both of us, where we met is where we learned that. And so, you know, the, that touch point was probably one of those, you know, driving factors for me that there was a, a, a ton of satisfaction just by setting up some simple automations that, you know, step by step kept me in the loop of things. Yeah. And it wasn't, it, I made sure that it didn't sound like, when I was setting it up, obviously, but I made sure I didn't sound like it was an automated message. I wanted it to sound as genuine as possible as if I had written it to the customer or someone else had written it to the customer and it wasn't just some automated message. Because, you know, you get those messages where it's like, you know, oh, to stop, you know, reply, you know, to, to opt out, reply, stop, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, okay, now I know it's, now you're full, now you're full of shit, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So... Um, something like that I think is important as well when it comes to the process of building a home for someone is that those regular touch points. And I'm sure, I mean, how many, I've got to ask you really, how many people end up calling you in a week just to get an update on where, what's happening, where, where it's at? So they do call. Yeah. Um, they do call, but we have, it's not automated, but we have our, um, uh, checkpoints, milestones call them what you like um where we update the clients you know so um when we do get calls it's basically you know probably one or two days out from our phone call being you know made to them and we just fill them in there and then say yep we're going to call you in a couple of days it is up to that stage you know we're we're plotting on to the next stage starting next week yeah you can get ai to even call now and it actually sounds completely I've got a, natural. I have I have no idea about tech and AI. <laughs> I know it's yeah. big, but I haven't explored that yet. Um, but I I don't doubt it at all. You can have it. I yeah. swear to God, to you, you can have it replicate your voice and then call them and then have a conversation with them. Yeah, well, well I'm not even joking. That, that's that's scary. Yeah, that is scary. Scary. You know what's scary about it is things like uh, Centrelink. You know, when you call Centrelink, they ask you for you to verify your identity using your voice. So now you've got AI, just this podcast alone, someone can go and grab my voice and create a voice sample. Yep. 
then what? Access to my Centrelink account, this account, you know, my ATO account. Because I all use voice print to, to verify, right? That's why it's scary. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's it? why it's scary. It's good. Oh, well, to a point. But it's, it's, it can be manipulated. Good, good for the right purposes. Good for the right purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. So if you ever said to yourself, I wish I could just close. I mean, you, you were asking me earlier, right? Oh, I just put my phone away, put it somewhere, please. Yeah. You know, otherwise I want to lose it. So imagine an, a, like you, you gave it a set of rules and conditions, right? And if it couldn't answer them, it said, look, I'm going to have to get back to you. Do you mind if I give you a call back tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. Right, so this AI would be able to then go and have a conversation with them, answer any questions that they had, and then just go, oh, "Look, I have to give you a call tomorrow." And the thing is, is, let's just say you get ten phone calls at once; it can answer all ten at the same time. Yeah, well. So you ever said to yourself, "I wish I could clone myself so I could take all these calls?" You can't. You can't. <laughs> it's you crazy, can't. isn't it? Uh, it'll get there. It'll yeah. get there. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I haven't explored it much, to be honest. I obviously have heard about it, ChatGPT and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't explored it much. So I don't know exactly what it can do. But from what you've just said, that, that, that's 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 crazy. Yeah, crazy. absolutely. So look on on that topic, uh, we're getting into our our halfway mark. I think what we might do is we're going to take a little break. So every podcast we do, we go and take a little ad break yep. uh, for you guys that are that are listening or watching. It's a 30-second break. Uh, for us, it'll be, you know, five, 10 minutes. So you'd be able to refresh, you know, refuel, things like that. Um, so we're going to go get stuck into this break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, how you got started, uh, you know, where that led you to in terms of, you know, oh, I want to know how you grew your business. That's, that's what a lot of people that are listening want to know. Everyone gets stuck where they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've hit a threshold. Or maybe they become complacent and there's no further growth. I'd like to explore that with you. Cool. So guys, right after this ad break, we'll be with you very shortly. First and foremost, before we get into our ad break, I just want to say to each and every single one of you how grateful I am that you guys tune in and listen to each and every one of these podcast episodes. What I'd really love from you, if you haven't already, is to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, as well as hitting the bell icon so you never miss a new episode. Now, I wanted to talk to you guys about a really cool opportunity. And that opportunity is a brand new program that has been brought out by the Launch Day podcast, and it's called the Amplify Program. The Amplify program is highly focused on building your personal brand. The two things that you're probably looking for in building your personal brand is credibility, authority, trustworthiness. There's some really, really big ones. And podcasting gives you that, that opportunity, right? So being part of a podcast will give you authority just by the look of being on a podcast and being in that setup. Now, how we further enhance that as well is, and this is another big problem that a lot of you will have, is content. Content is a tricky one because I know all of you out there are sitting there scratching your heads thinking, how do I post videos every single day about me, about my business? It's really hard. With our Amplify program, we actually give you 180 videos across three months from our podcast interviews. That's really important, 180. So you can post two per day 
for three months or you could post one per day for six months. That is so much content and it's gonna solve a lot of problems for you when it comes to growing and scaling your presence online. Not only that, but you also get a mini personal brand photo shoot as part of our program as well. So you can further enhance your profile and get ready for it, the icing on the cake. You also are guaranteed to be featured on publications such as Forbes Australia by being part of our program. If this sounds like you and someone who wants to get all of this credibility, authority, trustworthiness through 180 pieces of content, a personal brand photo shoot, doing a podcast, as well as being featured in places like Forbes Australia, then give us a call, give us a shout, head on over to launchday.au, so that's www.launchday.au, or you can call our office directly, it is plus 612-9055-8088. Welcome back from the ad break. If you've only just tuned in, which doesn't make any sense because it's a podcast and you should have tuned in from the very start, we're here with Tony Tariff. Mate, you know what? You never actually shared what your business name was. You said you were in construction, but you didn't tell us what it was. Tell us. So the business name is Link Property Developments. Mm -hmm. Um, Made it when I first started the company um, with the vision of going into development. Um, as in our own development. And um, yeah, so I thought I don't want to keep changing the company name. Hmm. But predominantly now we're builders um, for clients. And eventually if we get to our own developments, that's where we will take it. Good. Sounds awesome. Sounds fantastic. So guys, Tony Tariff from Link Property. So Link Property Developments. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Link Property Developments. Well, what came up with that business name? Like, how did you come across it? Was it like a shower moment? What, That's what was an interesting, interesting story. Um, it wasn't a shower moment. I was I was thinking about the logo more than the name. Okay. Um, I was thinking about the logo more than the name, and I came up with a logo of two hands shaking. So basically, two hands shaking, as in a a partnership relationship. Isn't that the um, HRIA Builders Association? Like similar to that. Okay. <laughs> similar <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, okay, well, there's two hands shaking, but what am I going to call it? Two hands shaking construction. <laughs> what's it going to be really called? What's that? What's that? Uh, what's that dad joke about the the guy, the three men that sleep at a hotel, and one of them went skiing? You know, the two <laughs> shaking Absolutely. hands. <laughs> I want to kill it I'll tell you later. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I thought, you know, what can, uh, what can I do with this logo more than the name? Um, and I came up with, I don't know how, I can't remember how this came up, but I came up with chain links at the end of the hands. Um, so two chain links, then a hand, two chain links and a hand shaking. And link, that's where I got link from. And I thought if we end up going into property development, then I want to, I wanted to carry that name into property development. So mm. I didn't sort of call it Link Constructions or Link Builders or anything like that. Link I ended homes. up calling it Link Homes. I ended up calling it um, Link Property Developments. But yeah, at the moment we're builders, uh, builders and developers. I mean, if you don't read too much into the name, we're pretty much 
we pretty much develop properties. Mm. Okay. Maybe not for ourselves, but for, for clients. We do you feel like the, do you feel like the name aligns with the values that you have in terms of, you know, building homes, not houses? I don't think it does, to be honest, but my, my mind now where it is, my mindset now where it is, was not how it was. It was not, I didn't have this mindset back when I mm. first started. Because I don't know, I think two hands and chains, all I can think of is you go to jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. When you like, explain it when like you explain that. It, yeah, <laughs> like in my head, envisioning it without seeing it, that's how it looks like, right? If you see it, you'll be, uh, yeah, you'll change your mind. Should have called uh, Shawshank Holmes, you know? Like. Yeah, Shawshank Holmes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, when you, when you see it, um, yeah, you would change your mind on that, but Goldman Supermax uh, hopes. I'll be, yeah, that too. The <laughs> bars in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, no, but yeah, I've, I've, had, I've actually had a few comments about it where the name links to the logo. Oh. Um, yeah, a lot of people have said, yeah, it's pretty, um, it's a good idea and it yeah, matches the, lo the name of the logo and stuff like pretty that. Pretty smart. It's, um, yeah, there's pretty, pretty, uh, smart or impressed with it but um but yeah obviously when i made the company it wasn't it wasn't i wasn't in the mindset that i am in now mm -hmm. um but you know at the end of the day i think about it like this if you can if you can articulate what you do and do it well and come across you know respectful and and you know as a as a professional it doesn't matter what your name is or your company name is because if you can get that reputation, the name just becomes the name. I mean, I, I look at people like, you know, Apple. <coughs> Apple. Yeah. What does it have to do with computers? What does it have to do with iPads, laptops? Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. It doesn't even have to do with any, doesn't even have to do with anything to do with Steve Jobs. It's not like he called it Jobs or Steve-O. You know, it's just Apple. And now it's the biggest company on the planet. However, however, Apple, there was a lot of thought that went into it. And the reason why they called it Apple was because it was simple. Yeah. As simple as an Apple. And so the thing is, is that whilst there wasn't, because Microsoft, oh, geez, man, that was, whoa, <laughs> <word>. technology. Holy <laughs> cow. You know what I mean? It was, Whoa, you know, micro software. Whoa, like it was, it was that was breathtaking. Like you had to, holy cow, like that's a big change, right? Especially back then, you know. So for them, strategically, Apple was actually, yeah, you're right. Apple hasn't no real meaning to it, like in terms of its, you know, bare value and looking at it from face value. But the subconscious marketing effect of what they did was Apple is simple. Right, and that's why you have an Apple phone right now. Is Apple is simple? If I compared the Apple, so I, I'm on iPhone now too. And if I compared that with my Samsung that I used to own, it was a lot more sophisticated. The Samsung, yeah, you know, I kind of did like some of the customizations and things that I could do with it, but ultimately, it just things were simpler with Apple. So you know, I I concur with you in the sense that you know there wasn't much thought put into the name. Uh, on a face value, but on a deeper, more meaningful value, uh, yeah, the the word Apple does come down to simplicity, yeah. um, and that's that's that was the whole point of it. They made it simple, 
And that's what, that's the message that they wanted to get across. So knowing that now, like, are there any plans for you to, to make some slight adjustments or, you know, anything like that to your, like your current messaging? Am, am I working on it now? No. Is am I working on it? No. Is there plans to? There could be. There could be. Um, but is that my focus at the moment? Not, not really. Not really. Um, everything is set up at the moment in terms of you know websites emails you know um social media um mm. you know branding on fences signage you know everything like that it's all set up mm. um am i am i thinking about it right now to scrap all that and start again and put in the time and the effort and the money to do all that right now that's not my focus at the moment mm. no. could it happen yeah probably i probably would I mean, one change that we did do, which I don't know why I didn't pick up on it from the get-go, but when we first made the domain, we made it with for the emails, we made it at info at linkpropertydevelopments.com.au. We've now changed it to linkpd.com.au. Yeah. You know, so um, it's a I've made that, I've made, <laughs> it's a mouthful. So um, I've made that change. Now, is there a change to to rebrand or rename the whole company as a whole at the moment no um you know eventually possibly hey, are you open to me sharing a bit of a strategy for you to take on board in the future obviously not straight away yeah sure so uh coca-cola yep they you, you'd think that if you were buying from coca-cola you'd buy from coca-cola ptyltd or you're buying from coca-cola the brand but when in actual fact, it's Coca-Cola Amatil Australia in brackets, PTYLTD, right? It's like bleely. Where, <laughs> where did that come from, right? So on all the invoices and all the formalities, that's obviously their company name and things like that. But Coca-Cola have Powerade, they have Fanta, they have Coca-Cola. You know, they've got all these different brands that fall under their umbrella. Their distribution, their you know R and D, all of that's still from the same place, but they're separated and marketed into different brands. And so, for example, Powerade, like you'd never be able to put Powerade and Coca Cola next to each other on the same website because you, Powerade's targeted at sports and Coca Cola's you know more of your your sort of enjoyment. Yeah. Right. It's two separate products. Yeah. Coke, you can you know Coca Cola, you can mix with whiskey or bourbon. Uh, try doing that with Powerade. You know what I mean? I don't That's even like, think. I don't, I, don't know, I don't even think whiskey. Sorry, I don't even think Powerade goes well with vodka. I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, the, the when you look at that that structure that they have, it's still the same company. What they everything that they do is all the same. They just market it differently. What they do have is registered trademarks. So those registered trademarks are Powerade, Coca Cola, Fanta, right? Those are those. Their, those are their registered trademarks, and what they do is, is they create separate websites that are targeted specifically to their audiences for that product. So if yours is Link Property Developments, and one day, so right now it's homes, and then one day you want to do your own multi-story developments or townhouses or whatever it might be, more project type work, right? Having Link Property Developments for that, still the same branding, slight variations. You know what I mean? And then having link homes, 
but different website, different look and feel to it, more approachable, make someone feel comfortable, but developments being more something focused on this and then maybe having a corporate website that goes, oh yeah, here's what we do as a corporate company. You know, having those things do play some really big roles in in the success that you have. Because today we live in a world of algorithms, right? And you being a smaller company than Facebook, Google, all the rest of them, you don't have an algorithm and you don't have millions of users using your platform every day to be able to determine what kind of content is appropriate for them. So when you get to that point where you are offering different services, it may be difficult for a customer to differentiate between A and B and it may make them feel like that they're in a position where they're in the wrong place. So one of the things that we do with a lot of our customers as well, right, is I've got a friend, Joey Saab, Active Countermeasures, perfect example. You get to his website, ask you a couple of questions. Um, I'm a VI, so he does like bug sweeping, right, which is uh, all your technical surveillance countermeasures. You think someone's tracking you, he goes and looks for the tracker in your car, your house, your meeting room, whatever, right? Yeah, some interesting stories. I listen to the podcast. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. We did that fireside chat, you know, it was yeah. actually a really good podcast. So with Joey, you get to his website and there he is, I'm a VIP or a diplomat. Everything on the website changes the moment you, you click on it to be more related to VIP and diplomats. Why? I'll actually, you know, let's take another example. That, that one's a pretty, you know, because they're kind of all cross, cross sort of wires going there. But let's just say you're an events and a production company even. And as an events and production company, you do weddings and you do corporate events and you also do parties on weekends. Let's just say they're your three markets, right? Three different types of customers. They're completely off different spectrums. So if I'm there for a wedding and then I see half the photos on the website have to do with parties on weekends and corporate functions, I straight away don't feel like I'm in the right place and therefore I'm working with the wrong person. But when the content is tailored specifically for my needs as looking for someone to do this for my wedding, I feel like I'm more, I feel more like I'm in the right place. And the thing is, like I said, algorithms do a good job of that because they're consuming content. And at the end of the day, they wouldn't be doing that unless they knew that was true. So they keep people on their platforms because they have an algorithm that determines what you should see. If you opened up Facebook, YouTube, any of these apps today, right? Tony, you, you, you told me, right? If you opened up any of these apps today and every single day you opened them, you scrolled 10 videos on Reels and those 10 videos had to do with beauty and makeup, would you stop watching Reels? No. You'd keep watching them even if it's beauty and makeup. Nothing to do with any of your interests. Well, I wouldn't watch them, but I'd scroll through them to get past to the ones that... What if, what if they never showed up? It was all beauty and makeup every time you opened oh, them. Oh, no. I'd stop. You'd stop because it doesn't interest you, yep. correct? So your websites should be the same. Your Facebook and social media should be the same. The content you produce for each specific target audience, like each specific type of customer should be different. <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying? Because content, and that's, like I said, if the big giants do it because that keeps you hooked on their platforms, it makes sense for you to do it on a smaller scale. And how do you do that? You by separating the types of customers into separate websites because then you're more likely to have a sale. Not now, but in future, when you start going down that path, 
that's going to be a, a valuable piece of advice that I give you to you today. That's actually going to see a, a, an increase in your conversion rates for that very reason. You know what I mean? <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Absolutely. So look, tell me, I want to know how you got started. Let's go start from right from the very beginning. Um, okay. Right from the very beginning. Uh, out of school, um, went into carpentry yep. first. Uh, did my four-year certificate four in carpentry um, at TAFE. Worked as an apprentice, worked my way up. Um, once I was done, I opened up my own carpentry business. Mm. Um, oh, this was this was ages ago now. This was 2010-ish. Yesterday. No. Yeah. <laughs> It feels like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I opened that up, traded for about four years, roughly. Mm. Um, and back then, building was very different. It was, it was, you know, how much for this? Yeah, how much for this house? Yeah, X amount, whatever, thirty thousand dollars. Okay, shake done. No mm. contracts, no, no, yeah, nothing like that. And I'm not saying it wasn't. It wasn't a thing. I wasn't exposed to it. We, the, the people I worked with back then were just on, you know, word of mouth, handshake deal, you know, do the job, I'll pay you at the end of the day. Mm. Um, that fell apart and put me in um, roughly about 50 grand worth of debt. Um, mm. Got people not paying um, after the job was done, me not having anything, you know, in writing or, or anything to prove that I've, you know, sort of done the work. Um, besides that, I didn't have the money for lawyers or anything like that anyway. Um, so it was basically a loss. Yeah. Um, at, <clears throat> at 20, um, 22 that happened. Um, and I sort of said, nah, I can't be, I can't be this young with this much debt and just keep, keep going. Like it's just going to grow. Mm. Something's got to change. So I decided, um, you know, I'm going to move into building. I've done the carpentry, got my license there. I'll do the building course and see where that takes me. So enrolled in building, left carpentry, uh, went to work for a builder um, for the next four and a half years, four and a half years, five years. Um, completed my builder's course, got my builder's license, um, and then opened up Link Property Developments in 2016 and have been going there since since then um this is what uh, seven years now mm. yeah seven years now so um yeah that that's basically how i started obviously that's business wise that's how i started um things were very different back then um as they are now things were very different two years ago um as they are now um or four years ago but um uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of lessons learned along the way. First one being, you know, through the carpentry and and being in that much debt at, at a at an age at that younger age. Um, and when I say debt, I mean I I I'm not saying debt is not good because as you grow, you learn that yeah, borrowing money in debt is good because you you grow your business or you grow your portfolio or you grow something with it using it. Um, the debt I had was pure debt. Mm. You know, debt to that I had I didn't have any dollar from it it was just basically debt that I had to pay back with nothing really to show for it or nothing really to bounce off to get that money to pay off that debt mm. 
Yeah, so like you mm. borrowed fifty grand to buy some tools, like which yeah, correct. About, well, that's not the thing. correct. That's not the debt that I had. I had yeah, pure debt. Yeah, I had to negotiate with the Timbyard to give me um, leniency on paying back the account, my account that I had did. Um, had a payment plan with them um, for the next year to pay them back mm. x amount of dollars per month. Um, you know, there was default clauses in that as well and stuff like that. So um, that taught me a lot about um, managing money because, mm. um, yeah, when you when you have a debt to pay, you're forced to pay it. Um, taught me a lot about managing money, um, knowing the, what I needed to know. But it was the first lesson. It was the first lesson of managing money. You know, you have to do this and you have to pay this. There's no two ways about it. This x amount of dollars needs to go to this account on this date every month um so it was a it was the first sort of money lesson i learned but from there obviously there's heaps heaps more that you learn through business how'd you go with paying the ato um the ato i didn't um i didn't have much of a debt with them um because i wasn't turning over that much at that 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 sort of time in my life you know it, was, it wasn't turning over that much. So the ATO, I didn't really have much debt with. Um, they, they were the easy part. Mm. The 50 grand was more, the majority of it was for the Timbiard mm. because the way, obviously, the way accounts work is you have 30 days to pay. So you can roll over three or four jobs in 30 days mm. and have $10,000 per job. At the end of the 30 days, it's 40 grand. Yeah. 30, 40 grand. Um and then that becomes payable, and if you don't get paid, then how do you? How do you That's pay like a, one of the biggest challenges a lot of businesses starting have, right? Is is managing money, and so you know, I know I've been there plenty of times. I've I've been in situations where I'm like, you know, hey, you know, I've got all these people to pay, all these staff, everything else, and then no payment on time, and it's like, yeah, guys, come on, you know, you need to pay, and then you kind of you're sitting there still, and you're like, get it. Because I need to pay other people, you know, they they rely on me for their mortgage, you know, um, and I feel I feel like there's like this big domino effect. Maybe they haven't been paid. Maybe you know, like whatever the circumstances are, uh, sometimes it's really hard to grasp. But I'll, uh, I'll I'll comfort you a little bit. Guess how much I'm in the hole for of, of things that I've had to write off, literally like cut my losses and move forward. Any guesses on the number? Because you're going to comfort me, I'm going to say it's more than fifty grand. <laughs> I'm going to throw a number out there. Um, a hundred and twenty grand, half a mil. Yeah, well, yeah, half a mil in the hole. So, and that is money owed. I've had to cut my losses. Yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. Like fifty grand is enough. Like I remember when I was fifty grand in the hole, and I was like, you know, someone didn't pay, et cetera, and so on. They disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, lawyers and legal action just wasn't an option because didn't have the money. Yep. I was inexperienced to be able to handle it myself. Uh, by the way, I'm experienced to handle court matters myself now. <laughs> right? You, you learn the hard way. You learn the hard way. You yeah, do. yeah, that's right. You're forced to learn. Um, but, you know, seriously speaking, half a million in the hole. And that is unpaid invoices. That is, you know, um, partnerships, contracts gone wrong. Well, not even contracts, was it? Yeah, a, lot of this, a lot of that half a million dollars, there was no contract. So it is those handshake agreements, those deals. I even did an export deal with someone that went sour, um, you know, and, and someone refused to pay for the shipping 
in the shipping. Like when I say export deal, like I'm talking like, you know, livestock, cold meats, um, you know what I mean? Containers upon containers of, of Manuka honey going to Korea. Uh, like there come some of the export deals. Everyone that listens to this podcast, they're like, Jesus, this guy out of like, he's done everything, this guy, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, so like even on export deals, that was a big one. You know, it was about good eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 lost there. Um, but, you know, I had to, had to cut my losses. I had to pay those debts. I had to pay my suppliers. I had to pay everything. Um, yeah, it's shit. So let me ask <laughs> you, you know, that, that, that's interesting because let, yeah. let me, because that's something I haven't had a conversation with someone about. Okay. Um, so I don't know the answer because when I was, so the way I look at it is, and I know it's not as simple for you. That's why I want to get your thoughts on it. Mm. When I was 50 grand in the debt, in, in the hole, mm. I looked at it and I said, screw this, Madonis. Right? So when I hear stories like that, and there's plenty in construction, believe me. When I hear stories of people saying to me, you know, this guy owes me, you know, 100 grand, this guy owes me 90 grand, and this guy owes me, you know, whatever grand, you know, I'm like, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve by going back there? So, for example, in construction, I'll let you explain to how, how you got to that stage, but in construction-wise, let's say, I've heard this multiple times. High-rise buildings, which means big volume, which means big dollars. Yeah. Right. Um, um, let's take <clears throat> let's take a form worker for example. They're there on every single level of yeah. the fifty-two story building. Yeah. Right. They finish the first level. They put the invoice in. They continue working because the, the you can't stop. Like you can't just you can't say I understand that you can't say I'm not going. I'm not going to come back for second level until you pay me in full the first level. That's just not how it works, right? So construction is in construction is not how it works. So they do the first level, they put the invoice in, the boys go back the next day, week, whatever, they keep they keep going. Now typically, uh, you know, depending on who you work with, the the contracts are um, written where you get payment within, you know, thirty days. Mm. Thirty days end of month. So you put your for example, you put your invoice in for level one on the twentieth of January, mm. right? You you'll get that money at the end of February, gotcha. thirty days in the yeah, month, yeah. right? Um, so by then, six weeks, you, you're almost you're almost you know up to the third level, maybe not up to the third level, but you 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 got a big chunk of level two done, um, and you're getting prepared to put your second invoice in. Now you put your second invoice in at level two completion, but level one invoice. They only paid you, let's say, three quarters. Okay. Right. So you keep going because now you're invested. You're you're in. You've you've done a whole level. You want that second. You want that second money. So, or the second level invoice paid. So you've got a quarter of level one. You've got the full payment of level two, and now you're moving to level three. Yeah. Your next invoice gets paid half, for example, or three quarters again. Let's say three quarters again, yeah. right? So your next invoice gets paid three quarters. So now you're half an invoice behind and you're up to level three, but you're invested into level three. So you can't stop. You need to put that invoice in. You need to finish level three to put that invoice in. At what point do you say, hang on, I'm enough 
in debt now, I'm pulling the pin or I'm stopping or there's got to be another way. And that ladder or or that sort of, yeah, that I wouldn't call it a ladder because you're climbing up. You're getting more and more into debt. Even if it's not debt to um, a bank or a financial institution or lending institution, um, it's debt. You're behind on every level. This is a 52-story building. You're behind on level three. What do you get? What's going to happen when you're at 52? It compounds, right? Right? It compounds. Yeah. I wouldn't call it debt either. Like, you know, if someone owes you money, like I, I wouldn't well, call that specifically debt. But if you are spending money with suppliers to do your work on that job site, then you will be accruing debts and then you end up paying money for the supplies and not paying yourself to live. You know, so I get that becomes a becomes a decision mm. do i pay my mortgage and feed my family or do i pay my suppliers yeah yeah you, oh you'd always take your family first take your family first yeah. so eventually i know i hear what you're saying you wouldn't call it debt eventually when it gets to that level it's going to be debt you're not going to not pay yourself and say right. it's a loss you're going to not pay the supplier and say it's now debt mm. I've, I've left this job now the builder's not going to pay me or whoever the developer's not going to pay me and I've got debt. Mm. Now, at what level do you pull the pin? Like I pulled it at 50 grand because I thought, no way, not doing this, sorry. Mm. Um, not you're, doing this. You didn't excited there, but. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am. I, I'm passionate about this sort of topic because A, it's happened to me on a very low scale and B, I see it happen all the time. And I keep thinking like, why there? Why 100 grand? Why 200 grand? Why 300 grand? What took you to 400 grand? Why five hundred grand? What's um, what's Telstra's total losses in unpaid bills? Do we know? I don't. Linda, can you look that up for us? I feel like Joe Rogan now. You know what I mean? <laughs> get, get, get so, do you look up the, that data on that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> look that up. Let's have a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Linda, look that up. Look that up. Um, you know how much is Telstra owed in unpaid bills? Um, you know things like that. I think realistically, as you grow, there's always going to be more unpaid bills. Now, there are certain tax benefits to them, tax reductions, things like that. Speak to your accountant about it. I'm not an overall expert, uh, but I do know that writing things off as losses. Take the same principle as a fast food joint, okay? Their losses, like where where they're missing out, or the it's in food wastage, so if, and this is, if you ever worked at McDonald's, anyone that's listening has ever worked at McDonald's, they have a waste bin and the manager that finishes their shift has to go through the waste bin and count all of the stock that went to waste, right? Because it dropped or whatever else, right? So, you know, they go and count that waste towards losses, towards offsetting their tax, their income, et cetera, right? And it's like I said, speak to your accountant about it because they know it better than I would, but Realistically speaking, when I look at losses and unpaid bills, those there's a flow-on effect to that in terms of further benefits in other areas of what you do. Linda, what's the number? Billion. Seven billion, but that's for one semester. For one, sorry, hold on a second. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So when you say one semester, you mean like one quarter? Oh, so one fiscal year? Great. So that's that's a financial year, right? So when, when single financial year, what was the number again? Fifteen point eight seven billion. Fifteen point eight. 
Hold on a minute. How many losses? You said you cut it at 50,000, right? Is this their losses or is this unpaid bills? Debt. Debt. Okay, so that's how much debt they have, right? So how much... Okay, well, I want you to work out what their losses are on unpaid bills, if there's a way to figure it out. Because they are a public company, right? So, yeah, yeah. Let's find out. Because they've got investors, they share their their reports. Look that one up. But even just on that point, right, how much debt they have, 15.87 billion. Yeah, but that's... They're that, paying. That that yeah, that takes us back to, to, to let's call it good debt. That takes us back to that's debt. That's right. Right? It takes us back to debt. That's that's different. We're talking we're talking losses and and with Telstra, we're talking Telstra. We're not talking your small, you know, small and medium business running out of a uh, yeah. small office. I wanted to amplify it, right? Like, you know, because the thing is is that you you we, we have to rationalize it in the sense of if we took a, a smaller percentage of Telstra's revenue and how many people didn't pay their bill it would look similar to some of the experiences you've had so far already, right? So uh, you, you wanted my take on on this kind of a scenario and situation. And the thing is, is that I just understand that doing business, is, there's always going to be risks. There's ways to minimize and mitigate your risks, right? Uh, and you can do that with contracts and agreements and, and taking security on assets, just like the banks do when you want a loan. There's a lot of ways to de-risk something that you're doing. Um, it just comes down to your choice on how you de-risk that, right? Uh, one of those things, for example, is that you rely on bank guarantees to say, hey, we're building you a home and the bank's saying that they're approved and here's the money. So you know you're going to get paid from the bank, right? That's how you de-risk what you do. But then you've got some odd projects here and there, you know what I mean? That even if they've signed the contract, you know, I, I, I always say this, right? Uh, any debt collectors out there as well, there's no point fishing in a pond with no fish. Okay. So if you're calling and chasing and look, this guy is just... Has no money. He's got nothing. Why would you even bother? Write it off. Seriously. And like this, when I talk about writing off half a million dollars, cut your losses, move forward. Because if you sit there and like, it's just like rope holding you back. Someone's holding you back. Oh, oh, oh you know, I can't do this. Look at me now. You know what I mean? Last year, January to March, we did $1.5 million quarter. It was my best quarter ever done. It's phenomenal. That's brilliant. Like, I was stoked. So, but like, when you when you look at it from, from that point of view, like, I just kept pressing on. I just kept pushing forward. You know, it wasn't about, oh, but this person still owes me money. And you know what? I just don't don't have time for it anymore. Yeah. I'm just focusing on the next project. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's a problem. Make more fucking money. You know I, what I mean? I guess, <laughs> I guess the difference is what I'm hearing now from you is mm -hmm. the difference is your, your 500,000 500, debt or loss came from different deals at, for different things. It wasn't 500,000 from one thing, no. Yeah. I'd say about so you. 15 different things. Yeah. See, that, that, that's probably the difference. The where where value was that export one, though. It was a 70, 80,000. Yeah. So it's still quite a significant number. So here's the question. Yeah. Let's take that one because that was the biggest one. Yeah. Um, you would 100% change the way you do your next shipment in from wherever you do it, wouldn't yeah. you? Learning from that. 
I'm not doing it anymore. But, yeah. but if you ever do, yeah, if you ever do, you've learned from that. See, Correct. the the I think that, and I know it's very hard to compare. I think the difference is in construction. People look at the job as one thing rather than breaking it down, mm. because your your import was you know eighty grand, say loss, yeah. right? It was it was one transaction it was like i want this can you bring it to australia yeah cool how much 80 grand okay no worries right or can you bring it out of the show wherever you took it to yeah um and then it was one sort of transaction it was just a can you do this yes how much this okay done this is different this construction is a little bit different it's in stages so to get to five hundred thousand. There's multiple $100,000 incre- like uh, stages that you get to. Mm. So it's it's not like, hey, how much is this job? 500 grand. Okay, when I finish, pay me. Yeah. No, it's 100 grand, 100 grand, 100 grand, 100 grand, 100 grand. That's $500,000. Mm. So they have the opportunity to guess, to, I guess, pull the pin at, at a stage where they're losing. They're going to lose. Why does it have to get to 100 grand? Why does it have to get to 500 grand? You keep chasing that. It's almost like a gambler, right? You've lost 50, so you put in 100. The challenge is, so I'll tell you exactly what it is in, in that scenario, right? It's the fear of not having anything at all. Correct. That's what it is. Correct. So for me, is, is I've adopted this mindset where I'm very quick to cut. So I'll cut my losses very quickly. And the reason why I cut my losses very quickly is because I know I'm like, okay, I'll just go focus on the next thing. So when someone backs me up into a corner, I don't just sit there and go, oh, I'm not going to make money, which is what a lot of people do, right? I don't do that at all. When someone backs me up into a corner, man, I am doing some Shaolin martial arts, Kung Fu, doing flips off the wall and getting myself out of the corner, right? Like I'm full on, like you can call me an acrobat in those circumstances, right? Um, No one can ever back me into a corner. It's like fight or flight, right? And so for me, it's like, you know, and and I've experienced it recently, you know, even in this, because like, you know, I went through a separation last year and then, you know, fast forward, I took the whole year off last year, this year, got back into business, March, had a stroke. You know what I mean? Like I've had that many adversities in the last 24 months. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So starting another business from scratch, jeez, you know, like it's it's full on. It's very, it's a lot of hard work. There have been times when people don't pay on time or, you know, don't pay at all. You know what I mean? It, it, and it, even recently, the thing is, is I sit there and I go, ah, okay, sure. So a lot of people, when it comes to payday, they're like, all right, shit, I'll just wait to see if they pay. Whereas I'm more like, what if they don't pay? Where else am I going to get the money from? Yep. And then I'll go on the attack and I'll be like, okay, we need this one. We need that one. You know, what can we do here? Can we bundle an offer? Can we, you know, can we work it out? Right? How can we make sure that if they don't pay, we've still got enough to cover our expenses? And this is, for me, it's a foundation of growth because if you... You know, so a lot of people find the growth side of things. It's like, oh, yeah, you just have to have the right attitude. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But my attitude is more like, will I have enough of it? Don't pay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so for me, it's like I go out and get more, even if I've got the savings, you know, set aside or whatever it is. 
Because there's some way I can get more. So that way, if this person who makes up a, you know, one fourth of, you know, a quarter, right, of 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 what we pay for around here, you know, for, of our income, sorry, and that's like majority of our expenses. If they can't pay their bill, how am I paying for things if they don't pay it on time? And there's one client that I have right now where it's due on the first of the month and they don't pay till the bloody 21st, the 25th, whatever bloody day that they pick. Do you know what I mean? And so, and it is a big chunk, you know, they're paying $10,000, $12,000 a month. So the thing is, is that in that situation, I go, well, I need to work out how to double that. So that way I can ensure that all of our other core expenses are paid for, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so it's just a constant thing, right? It's just a constant thing is I'm always thinking about, I'm not worried about the person not paying. I'm worried about how I'm bringing more in. Do you know what I mean? So for me, yeah, I, I get the question is, I think your question's in two parts. How do you deal with it, right? And how I deal with it is I like cut my losses and just keep moving forward. And unless they do genuinely have a lot of assets and, and liquid funds and then you go chase it because it's worth it, right? It's worth your time and energy. But if they don't, I just cut my losses and move forward and just focus on the next one. And the second one is when do you pull the plug? Am I right in saying that? When do you pull the plug? I pull the plug on the first day. If you pay, if if someone paid three quarters of my invoice, right? So in the past, eighty grand. Okay, never again. All right, you give them net terms. Yeah. <clears throat> Depending on the circumstances, if you've got some kind of security, uh, now it's in increments. So I go, okay, you you'll have thirty days. Everything else up front, but after the first transaction, you'll be able to pay. You know, sixty uh, percent. So I de-risk sixty percent up front. The other forty percent. Or maybe it's 70, 30, depending on how much it is. 30, uh, 70% up front, the other 30 on 30 days. And I, I work up their credit. It's the same that the way that an American Express charge card works. So you get an American Express charge card and you know they'll give you like a two grand balance on it. What you do is if you drop 20 grand into it cash, right? And you take the 20 grand back out, your new credit limit's 20 grand. Because I know you have 20 grand to put in. Yeah. If the next day you put 50 grand, then your credit limit goes up to 50 grand because they know you've got 50 grand to put in. And so it's the same sort of principle that applies there. That's how American Express de-risks what they do, right? Um, but in this case, for me, it's business. So I de-risk by you know, d- doing payment terms upfront, but then also considering you know, a 70-30 and then working their way up. If I know that, if, like if I know that they're a big company and they have money, no worries. For it's, it's a bit hard in construction because they might be a big company, but you don't know if they have money. But that's that's the that's why construction is very different. Mm-hmm. We can in construction. I, I don't know this for sure, but from what I can find, from what I can see, we are the only industry that gets paid after the fact. Mm. Right? Um, yes, we get a ten percent deposit. As a builder, you get a 10% deposit, yeah. right? But that 10% deposit, and it doesn't matter about the size of the project because the bigger the project, the more expenses. That 10% deposit is gone pretty much when you pull the slab, pull the first you know, concrete slab Absolutely. down to the ground, right? It's gone. You've, you've spent it. Site management, um, preparation in terms of paperwork and stuff in the office, um, you know, wages to get to that point, excavation, concrete, concrete pumping, you know, steel, you know, form workers, whatever. It's gone. So 
that's gone and you got another payment coming in for the slab stage, mm. right? For what you just finished. But you can't stop. You can't put that concrete invoice in and say, okay, when it clears in my funds, then I'll bring the boys back and start. It's just that's just not, not how it works. Yeah. You have to keep going. So after that first ten percent deposit is is used up, you're always getting paid after the fact. Mm-hmm. So you get paid before a deposit because mm-hmm. you don't have to start too bad till you, you get the deposit. But from there on, you're paid after after the fact always. And we're always like, and I'm not saying it's unfair or I'm not saying it's it shouldn't be that way. All I'm saying is, in a lot of industries, they can charge beforehand, whether it be a percentage or all of it, mm. um, but in construction, you can't. Mm. So it's sort of like you're just trusting that this money's coming in, mm. and that's where people get unstuck. It's not a one, it's not a one invoice type thing where, um, you know, We'll finish it and then we'll give it to you. No, that's not how it works. You're in increments. So my thing, my biggest thing, and with you is different. Now I understand how your 500,000 came about. It's different. It's, it's multiple other things. With construction, it's not. It's it's a compound. You know, you're missing 20 grand off your first invoice. Oh, so what? It was a 100 grand invoice. They're missing 20 grand. That's all right. They'll fix it up next month like they said they would. All right? Mm-hmm. Go to the next month. There's another 100 grand invoice. They only give you half or whatever, three quarters say, right? That's another 20 grand, but they haven't paid the first 20 grand. So they 40 grand. Now you're at stage three. Where do you pull the pin? Where do you pull the pin and say, hang on, like, you know, I pulled the pin at 50 grand and it was yeah. on multiple projects. It wasn't one project. I pulled the pin at 50 grand. I said, no, 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 wait, like, I can't. 22, 50 grand, you know, I'm, I'm just starting. You know, where am I going to end up in two, three years' time? 150 grand? 200 grand? Half a mil. Half a mil. <laughs> exactly. Right? So a lot of companies um, go under by by that, you know, by doing that, mm-hmm. just hoping for that the next invoice is coming in instead of cutting their losses, like you said, and saying, not doing any more work here. That's like, uh, yeah, 100%. And for me, like I said, I, I would be... I would be pulling, so I didn't cover that point actually. I would be pulling the pin on the first invoice. Yeah. And I've done it. So like I've had had some of our clients and they are on some pretty big contracts and they don't pay on time. Maybe it's 21 days overdue. Um, And and when I think about due dates, right? So it's been issued to you like 57 days ago and it's due, it's 21 days overdue from the due date. So you can't say like you've had it for 57 days, you know, so it's invoiced on the first, due on the first of the next month and then another 21 days on top um, or even longer. Some people it's 60 and then they're, you know, now 80, like 30, 20, 27 days overdue on the 60 day term. It cripples businesses. It really does. I, I can't say that I'm going to stand here and say I've got all the right answers, but from my experience so far, from my personal experience, First invoice unpaid, no explanation, or just on a promise of, yeah, yeah, it'll be next month. I've cut it. And I have left people hanging. We've had, oh, yeah, we've got to book this, this shoot in and do this video shoot, et cetera, and so on. And I won't be there. Yeah. That's as simple as that. You know, if you don't pay, I'm not coming. 
And so I've, I have cut it off very early. So on the first instance, so like, you know, if there's a lot of communication around it and I, f I feel like it's okay and it's not like they don't have money, they're just, you know, terrible at managing whatever situations that they have right now. I'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll give it another 30 days. But after that point, that's it, cut straight away. There's, there's plenty of contracts out there, plenty of projects out there, you know what I mean, for me to go and chase without being hung up on chasing a One dangling thing. carrot. You know what I mean? That's yep. what it is, is someone dangling a carrot. It is. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, next month they'll get paid, next month they'll get paid. And then it comes into that fear component and that's they probably use that to their advantage is they use that fear to keep them there. Because if they don't do the next project, then they won't get their 60,000 out of the 100. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, like that's, I, I just cut it off. A lot of people are afraid to, I just cut it off. I've lost enough money as it is to... to and not care about it anymore. You know what I mean? I, I here's a here's a quick story. Yeah. Um. Me. Here's a quick story, and it's not my personal story. I I read it in a book. Um. I read it in a book about business. So there was a there was a guy. Um. It it doesn't specify what industry or anything like that. But there was a guy who had a client, and his no this, way, one client, really. this one client. This one client. <laughs> one client, had one client. Okay. The guy he had, um, he had one major client. Uh, I should rephrase that. One major client, which took, uh, which which brought in, sorry, for his company. Um, I think the number was twenty mil. No percentage. I think it was forty five percent of his of his um, uh, like sales. Yeah, and then he had. You know, heaps of other smaller players that you know brought in the rest of the yeah five percent. Um, in time, and everything was going great. They're paying him on time, and you know he was getting his money, and you know it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't as much as he was charging the other guys. But who cares? They they're giving him forty five percent of you know his his sales. Yeah. So he um so he said oh yeah you know it, it's all good yeah whatever. In time. This company kept asking for um, reductions. Yeah. Oh, we've been with you for a year. Give us a give us a saving. We've been with you. Oh, drop your price, drop your price, drop your give price. Us give us a discount. Give us a discount. It's been two years. It's been three years. It's been four years. Um, to, a, to a point where now he had to go up to him and say, look, I can't do anything more. I'm barely breaking even. Like I'm not making anything off you guys, and you're 45 percent of my, of my, you know, sales. And they got that powerful with him that they said to him, "Okay, well, we're going to take our business elsewhere." So overnight, I think oh, I'm not rem I don't remember the numbers exactly, but overnight, I think the number was about you know he was doing he was an eight million dollar business. Overnight, them pulling out what they've been giving him. His business dropped to a $3 million business. Two years later, he couldn't sustain it because he lost his biggest, his biggest um, client, customer, and he couldn't, he couldn't manage to bring up those sales yeah. anymore through anyone else. And um, he had to sell the business. Mm. Guess who bought him? The, the company. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Right? They bought him. And now they get everything at cost while he's going back and starting again. That's right. So business is very 
you have to diversify, I believe, um, in business. Otherwise, if you're too much into one customer, as good as they may be today or tomorrow or the next year, um, it could come back to bite you. That's right. Um, but, and that's sort of what I see with going back to why this is why this is tying into what we're talking about. It's sort of what I see with some of the trades, like they get tied into these big these big projects where you know my you know my um, quote or or my contract with these guys is one point five million. You know this is going to keep me going for you know one and a half years, two years with no stress, no worry. All of a sudden, hundred thousand invoice only eighty thousand gets paid. Next hundred thousand only eighty thousand gets paid. Next hundred thousand only eighty thousand gets paid. You know, three months you're sixty grand, you know, behind. You haven't bothered to look for any other work because why would you? You got two years worth of work with this with this one guy. Why would you even bother with with anyone else, right? Um, at the end of it, if it keeps going, that's where you end up. And you either go bust or they buy you out. Yeah. You know? um, so that's why I that, that was the biggest thing I was trying to see where you why you let it get to the mm. five hundred grand mark. Yeah. But being multiple different, yeah, it completely same. different, you know, related things. It's it's yeah, it's different to yeah. construction. No, nah, that's it. I w- I'd never let it get to five hundred k. I'd never provide someone that much credit. That's right. That's exactly. That's what you're doing. You can provide the credit too, right? You are, yeah. That's right. I'm not a bank. I'm really not a bank. So, you know, I'm here to make money, um, and so I'll, I'll do that by whichever means that I think necessary. And if that means that I have to cut people off, like I said, I, uh, you know, uh, old habits die hard. These people have probably been doing it for a long time with a lot of people. It's just as simple as that. You know what I mean? You end up knowing who you can work with and then knowing you can't. The only challenge is the people you want to work with that you know pay on time. You know, everyone wants to be with them. So how how do you, you know, get those contracts? And in the meantime, how do you maintain your business while you're trying to get those contra- uh, contracts, you know? So it's a challenge in itself. But talking about challenges, has, has there ever been a time that's been challenging for you where you've just been, oh, shit, you know, like everything's gone downhill? Uh yeah <laughs> you say yeah. that like uh, yeah. Yeah, no shit <laughs> yeah <Heaps>. yeah <laughs> tell me tell no me. actually to be honest i'm not gonna sit here and tell you um heaps mm. i'm not gonna lie to you um from the get-go besides the 50 grand that i was in debt and and i yeah, picked it early and said no that's not happening mm. from then onwards um it's sort of been a win-win for me um, and I know I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and a lot of your, um, a lot of the guys you interview come from, I had $5 in the bank. I had, you know, a dollar in the bank and, you know, I started this business and, and I love those stories, but I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say to you, that's where I started because I did it. Mm. Um, I had the 50 grand in debt, you know, paid that off, whatever. Um, but from then it was a win-win, and I'll get to where where my experience kicked in, which wasn't long ago. Mm. Um, it was a win-win because so at twenty six, um, at twenty six, met my wife, and from then I had just I hadn't even left the company. That I was still working at 
um, the building company I was working for. Uh, at 26, I left my wife. Now, in the space of three years, three or four years, we bought our bought a property together, two actually, um, put granny flats on them to to bring in dual, dual uh, income. Um, we got married and we had our first son mm. in the space of four years. So it was busy, you know, bang, 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 bang. Everything was happening in the four years. And it all fell into place. Property market was booming. You know, um, the, the the houses were, the, the granny flats or whatever um, made up the difference between the mortgage repayments. Um, you know, uh, we had our first son, which was great. We were living with family. We were living with family, so we were saving our money um, to build our own property. Um, and then 2020 came and found the property. Oh, sorry, not 2020. 20, 2019, I think it was, or 2020. We found the property, um, and it was great. Let's do it. We've saved all this money. Let's do it. Yeah, we've, we've we've worked hard. We've got our investments. Now it's time for us to to sort of you know get our own home and and move into our own place and let's build it. You know, let's, let's do it nice and have it for a family, whatever. So we did that. 2020, 2019, 2020. COVID, mm. price increases, material shortages, labor expenses, and shortages. Isn't that still happening now? Still happening now, but. When it was happening, it was increasing. Now it's increased and it's plateaued a little bit. Mm. Um, whether it pulls back or not, we don't know. But at that point, it was like everything was great. Mm. It's awesome. Just had it was just a win, 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 win year after year. Then that happened. They were like, okay, well, you know, price increases. You know, the house cost us more than we thought it would or what I budgeted for of um sorry of course it did of course it did yeah. um but uh but we said you know what we're we're, we're halfway through it you got to finish it so yeah do what we have to do to finish it um so we finished it moved in at that point as soon as we moved in or yeah round about when we moved in my third son was born so we were also my wife was heavily pregnant and we're moving and getting comfortable we moved in in at uh, the beginning of 20, 2022, um, beginning of 2022, February. So we moved in at February 2022. And then, so our company, or hold of construction, I'm not going to say my company, but the hold of construction took a hit because of labor shortages, material shortages, material price increases, everything like that. Mm. So my workload dropped. Mm. So while it was great before, like it was just job after job before that, like I said, it had great years and the property industry was booming. Construction industry was booming. When we spent everything we saved to move into this dream home, our dream home, our whatever we wanted to do, our family home, um, things started to take a turn. Work dropped. Um, not that much work was out there anymore because everybody was worried about the price increases and what once was... You know, a $400,000 renovation is now a dollars $480,000 renovation. Um, so work sort of slowed through that. Then the RBA came into play. 
um, interest rate rises mm. month after month after month after month after month. Those rises, um, those rises, I think after about the seventh or eighth one, maybe even the tenth one, um, we had to make a decision to move mm. because not only was the work slow now in my industry due to all these you know, um, rate rises um, and material prices and stuff like that, but also our mortgage is going up. So I, I'm That's turning right. over less money and our mortgage is going up, right? So that there, we had to make a decision to say, well, we, we've got to move. Mm. And we were only in there for, we moved in December. So we weren't even in there for a year, right? So we saved, we saved for five, six years, you know, trying to make enough money to, to build this house. We built the house. We were just about to enjoy it. And then um, COVID and, and the price increases and uh, interest rates hit us within a year to a point where we had to move mm. out of the home we just built. Wow. wow. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, I, I've, I've started from, I lived in the gutter and I, I, you know, didn't have anything. No, that's not the case. Um, but where my business knowledge changed was that point where it's like you were so complacent when everything was good that now it's like, what are you going to do? You had to move. Mm. You didn't diversify your, your sales. You didn't bother, you know, branding your name. You didn't bother, um, you know, promoting yourself or your, or your company because everything was just good. It was just flipping, you know, one year over the other just rolling along. Um, so that was the biggest mind shift for me, that part there. Um, and that's when, that's when I sort of, my mindset changed to, this has happened now, I can't change it. It is what it is. Mm. But I'm not going to let this happen again. So now it's like, um, if this happens again, what have I learned, and what can I implement now so that when it happens again, it doesn't it doesn't affect us as much? Mm. And that was the biggest mind shift, and that's something that I think a lot of people take for granted when times are good mm. because they think it can never, you know, it can never. Like, why? Who ever thought three percent interest rates? Who ever thought they were going to get to? Six, seven percent. Yeah, nobody. Property houses were booming. They were going up, you know, hundred grand a year. You know, the, who ever thought that this was going to happen? Nobody. Mm. Well, not nobody, but the people who didn't think it or who didn't worry about it are now the people who are finding it difficult. Mm. Um, and we were one of them, but we were one of the lucky ones who had worked harder beforehand and had some fallback options to go off in terms of investment properties and you know stuff like that. Mm. So while um, while my story is not one from the you know from the slums to to millionaire, um, but it, it's still something that people can take away that you you need to you need to work on your company 
and you need to work on your um, mentoring and coaching because you don't know everything and it's not always going to be this easy. That's right. You know? Um, so I think, a be, and I'm still learning. You know, I've it's been been a year, or a couple of years now. So I'm still learning, but I've learned so much in the couple of years that I wish I knew. You know, six, seven, eight, ten years ago. Believe me, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like the amount of things I've learned over the years, and it's just you know things that didn't make a lot of sense back then that make a lot of sense now. You know what it is? It's it's uh, it's having an open mind, number one, because a lot of the time we go, oh, business coaches, you know, what am I going to pay all that money for? And You know what yeah, I mean? That was me. And yeah, and, but you know what? Even the people that that pay them, right, but then they go in there with a closed mind. Yeah. Of course you're not going to get what you need out of it because you're not going in with an open mind, you know? So there's no argument to it. You have to have an open mind. Very important. You've got to implement too. Like you, you can go in there with an open mind and listen and... Oh, that's and nice. That, that's great. That sounds awesome. And then you walk out <laughs> and right. the first thing you do is scroll Facebook and yeah, and not even that's implement right. anything you've just learned. Um, we just went to yeah. a conference recently, right? The two of us. Yeah. And that conference that we attended, there was no mobile phones allowed. You know, you had to put them in a bag. You you were, you know, pretty much sectioned off. You you weren't supposed to leave unless you had to, you know, unless you were going to piss yourself, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but man, I, let me tell you, because a lot of what was being taught, I already knew. But this man gave us the highway and I've taken the goddamn scenic route. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is me. I, I guarantee you, like every hour, because we're doing an activity every hour. Yeah, like even if it's like seven, eight o'clock at night, you can even ask Linda. You know what I mean? I I, I left the room, went outside, got on the phone. I need you to do this. Um, stop doing that. Da da da. Because it was just like all this stuff that was just, you know what I mean, hitting me in that moment where I was like, yeah, light bulb. And it, it wasn't even anything that was directly taught. It was like something I realized through what was being said. Because I walked in there with such a wide open mind. And then it was just, again, like you said, action straight away. Before we even finished the, the goddamn four-day thing, right? I was I was on the phone taking yes. action straight away. I'm like, nah, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. I was smashing it. Yeah. So, yeah, man. No, no, it's, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. It's true. You can, you can listen and pay for, you know, coaches every day if you want to. Yeah. But if you don't implement what they're trying to teach you or you don't have an open mind to it, then... Um, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's just dead money, basically. That's right. Basically paying dead money. That's right. Um, you're not going to make money either, you know? So yeah. forget just paying it, but you're not even going to make it. Yeah. That's that's dead set, you know? Yeah. But it's um, but yeah, it, it was... So that's that's basically my story today. Obviously, in between there, there's a lot of bits and pieces that sort of um, you, you learn and stuff like that. But the, the basic realization of as safe as you think it is, whatever industry you're in, um, it's not. Mm. It's not. You can't control the uncontrollable. So, yeah. you know, you can't say, oh, no, COVID, don't come this year. I'm not ready. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Come next year. I'll prepare. <laughs> Give me a year to prepare and then I'll you can come next year, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can't do that. So you need to be prepared for whatever. Um, and for me, I believe... 
diversifying um, risk is one way. Don't have one client that pays yeah. half your bills. Yeah. Yeah. Or all of them. Don't have that all over All of them's even worse. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> all of them's even worse. But um, not even that, even, even diversifying into different things, not mm. just your primary business, you know, diversifying even out of that. I mean, um, for me, our business took a hit. Uh, construction in general took a hit. Still is now. Um, so you started selling feed pigs? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only fans. <laughs> um, now, yeah, the construction took a hit, but also, my, so my wife manages a hair salon three yeah. days a week. And they got obviously hit hard because they had to shut down. Like yeah. for us, we had like a, you know, this area can a green acre can't, you know, leave and Punchbowl can't leave, but you know, uh, North Shore can or whatever. They had yeah. they they changed things. So we were always, we always had something to do, but um, or industries like the hair salon where they said, no, no can't do that's it. it. You got to you close completely close. You know, they got, they got absolutely smashed. And then like, um, funding for that kind of stuff didn't even come in until like months later. Yeah, yeah. So they had to carry it till then. That's right. Um, but you you got to you look at it you look at it that way, and you say they took a hit initially, hard probably harder than any other industry that and retail. Um, but it lasted, it lasted those. Those 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 times that they said, okay, no, 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 you got to shut down. Then they opened up again. Then they said, I get shut down, mm. right? Whereas with construction, it, there's no end in sight just yet because these interest rates that they're talking about, they they haven't finished. People they've slowed down. People say, oh yeah, they're done or whatever. I don't think they ha- I don't think they are. And the more they go up, the more people are going to not want to build or can't afford to build, and. That's why the sort of the construction industry, it's a, it's a long-term effect. It's not a short-term. Like now, for example, they're all open. You know, uh, hairdressers, barbers, the retail, and they're all they're all they're all open now. They all can be open unless another big wave of COVID comes along and, and shuts them down completely. They're open. Whereas with the construction industry, it's like, it's not as good as it used to be. There's still work out there, but it's not as good as it used to be, and money's been poured out into different areas of the economy and more money needs to be come back into construction into well here's the here's the interesting thing i think they had that home um bonus thing renovate your home yeah, yeah, 50 yeah, yeah. grand 20 that's grand whatever right. yeah, blah 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 yeah. yeah they brought that out i i think that did more damage than good i really did because what it what it did was it gave people money. Great. That's that's the good part. Great. Give people money to renovate because you give builders more work, right? Fine. What was the you give, you give the builders more work, they book in more work. So they book in two, three months, four months, five months, six months down the track, right? Two years sometimes down the track. When when you're paying those sort of when you're signing those sort of contracts and you don't know that the pay the the supply increases are about to hit you you're going to fall over you've priced for 
for example, you've priced for 2020 prices, but you don't start the contract you signed till 2022. That's right. Right? So while it was good for the interim and, you know, made the, made the government look good, you know, give it money. So yeah, we're money. putting money back into the Yeah, yeah, putting money back into yeah, the yeah, into yeah. the economy. It uh, sort of made people sign out. Economy, yeah. Economy. Yeah. Economy into it. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it sort of had the reverse effect eventually. Mm. Initially, it was great. Um, the builders, yeah, most builders thought, awesome, fucking, you know, uh, mm. we're getting saved here, mm. right? Sign all these contracts. Quick, 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 sign them up. They all got 20 grand, 30 grand or whatever it was. You know, extra in their in their pocket. You know, try and try and get as many contracts as you can. This is to the sales team. Yeah, get get as many contracts as you can. Sign them up. Sign them up. Sign them up. Sign them up. But the more you sign up, the and and the unknown that was coming, the more you're like, well, now now what do I do? Mm. I've got all these contracts that are that are legally binding that I have to finish for a loss. Eventually. One or two things: you sell the co- sell the company, or you, or you get bankrupt. There's no no other way. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was that was COVID and price increases and stuff like that. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if I'm going to teach anybody anything about what I've learned, um, that starting a business is when you get started it is hard when you get started yeah you have to you have to put in the hours you have to put in the the nights you know you've got to put in a lot of it you have to wear all the hats Mm. um but as you begin to gain traction don't get complacent that it's all going to be well and good for the rest of your life it you've got to really put something away for a rainy day so to speak yeah um or diversify your risk Mm. so um that's sort of a lesson I learned the hard way. Um, but if it's something I could teach someone, it's it's that for one. And leadership and we'll get back to the respect thing. Leadership and respect to your team goes a long way as well. Yeah, It, it grows a team that's based on your what you want and how you want to run the company. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess if you don't want it to run on respect and, and honesty and stuff like that, then, that's right. then that's fine. But if you do, then leadership is a big thing. You, you can't, you, you've got to put some time into your team as well. It's not just about um, the dollar figures rolling over or the or the jobs being signed. Mm. Um, it's, it's also about your team. So I think leadership and... Um, leadership and future planning or future proofing is a big thing I've learned over the last few years, three, 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 four years. Um, well, Tony, listen, man, we're, uh, we're, we, I feel like we could probably talk for another hour, two hours, three hours, you know, that's good. We do some follow-up podcasts, but, uh, you know, it was funny that you mentioned just that because I, I was actually going to say, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this up and, I was actually going to ask you, did you? Is there any advice or anything that you'd like to share with everyone? So you've already done that. Uh, <laughs> you read my mind. I don't know. Maybe you're telepathic as yeah, well. That, that's my diversifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's another thing. <laughs> Absolutely, I love it. Um, so I'm actually going to change that last question. Right? I'm going to change it ever so slightly. I want to ask you this question: What would you share 
as advice for our future generations, we're talking about your children, what would you be your best advice for people with kids, including your own? Um, challenge the challenge the um, what do they call it? Challenge the norm. I'm going to say. Um, challenge the norm because a lot of a lot of what, and I don't know. If this is probably not going to be. Um, this is not going to. A lot of people are not going to like this, but a lot of what you learn in school um, doesn't doesn't come to play in the real world. A lot of what's important about business that you think you know you go to school to learn and you, you, they get you ready for for life. Um, it's not. It's not like that. It's, it's not like that. So you've got to sort of challenge that. Um, not only that, but challenge a lot of things that are considered normal. You know, um, don't um, go with the flow. Go against the grain a little bit um, to a certain extent because you want to you want to try and you want to try and um, find out where the norm is wrong okay or where it's where it's incomplete and build on that okay from a business perspective um that's what i believe you know, uh, that's what i would be really teaching my children obviously that's about business there's all yeah. there's all the stuff about respect and, and honesty and stuff like that but in yeah. terms of my kids I'd, I'd be teaching them challenge the norm if you don't think something is right or if you don't think that um, it's being done right, or it could be done better. Bring it up, talk about it. Yeah, so I probably never would have would have done this. Yeah, you know? I probably never would have done this podcast um, two or three years ago, ever, because everything was great and I thought it was great and it was the norm and it was normal and you know <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Now it's opened up my mind. It's sort of saying, yeah, but this is this is not right. The way builders are perceived is not right the way um, builders are being stereotyped is not right. Um, you know, so it's sort of, I'm, I'm trying to challenge that and it's going to be a big challenge because it's been the way it is for so long. But I'm trying to challenge that because I now believe that there's a lot more to what the media shows builders to be and to what Facebook and, and Instagram and all that show builders to be. Mm. Uh, there's a lot more to that than, than what you see there. Mm. Um, but that's that's my challenge. That's what I'm sort of trying to challenge. I get you. I want to share a story with you. Yeah, it's adorable. Uh, like uh, this happened a, like a couple of months ago, but I haven't shared it on my podcast yet. And you know, I think anyone who listened to the episode with PK Gupta, um, you know, the the property specialist yeah. in terms of uh, buying and investment properties. Um, you know, kids were a pretty hot topic on that one. And I find it really, really interesting. A couple of months ago, we had a market that we went to where we set up and, you know, my partner was selling flowers, right? And she was, yeah, like I said, she was selling flowers at this stall and I, I sat there and I went, no, no, we have to have a raffle giveaway where you can participate in the raffle, raffle $5. 
It's not associated with any charitable causes or anything like that. But we'll say that, let's just say that these Colombian roses and the vase and everything else is worth $350 retail value. We divide that, you know, by $5 and it's $5 a ticket. Yep. So that way we're, we're not, you know, price gouging people and, oh yeah, we're going to make $1,000 on a $350. Yeah. But I sat there and went, okay, I need to make at the very least $350 to break even on all the costs. Because obviously with her, I was paying the bills, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, she, she's just getting started. I was the one paying the bills, right? So I'm setting, I've got everything, you know, and no, no, we have to do a raffle. My youngest daughter, Miller, at the time four, she's about to turn five. Miller, she goes, oh, can I help you sell raffle tickets? I said, that's a great idea. We're like, yes, <laughs> yes, you can. So we go around and I, I, I kind of showed her the ropes. I took her with me. She was really shy, really shy. Showing her the ropes. Oh, Kai, would you like to join our raffle? We're selling flowers. And so I, she said, oh, can I sell one? And I went, yes, you can. Absolutely. Come here. And so she got so hyped up. I told her I'd, I would give her 10 cents for every $5 that she, that every raffle ticket that she sold, <laughs> right? By the end of it, man, I'm telling you, she, she smashed it. I swear to you, she smashed it. She sold like 30 tickets. She made like $3. Right? For her, it's amazing. $3, oh my God, I get to spend yeah. it on whatever. A four-year-old, you know? But I'll tell you, she developed her own sales pitch. I kid you not. I just told her, all right, here's what you say. Would you like to join our raffle? It's $5. We're raffling flowers. That's all I told her to say. This little girl, I swear to you, Tony, blew my mind. I was like, yeah, that's my daughter. Like, you know, you know that was one of those moments where you're like, that's my kid. You know what I mean? She goes up after going to all these people. She goes up to this lady. She goes, hi, would you like to join our raffle? And then the lady says, oh, you know, what, what are you guys raffling? She goes, oh, flowers. And then she goes, oh, and how much is it? She goes, it's $5. It's only $5, <laughs> right? So I, I didn't tell her to say this, right? She turns around. It's a bit of an awkward silence. She then turns around, reminding she's four. She then turns around and says, do you have flowers at home? Oh, no, I don't have flowers at home. Why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? Innocent four-year-old, why not? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and she was like, oh, I, I don't know. She goes, well, you, you should definitely buy a raffle so you can have flowers at home then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's completely developed her own sales pitch and it was just adorable and hilarious. And you know what I mean? So it was like, Stuff like that where sometimes just putting what you believe in into practice around them can inspire them at an early age as well. I think that would be my advice to, to parents out there that will, you know, business owners with children, surround them in what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let them learn from what you do. You know, that's how I learned. Like when I was a kid, I was going and, you know, I was helping my dad out with, with certain projects and jobs and running cables through roofs and dealing with customers. Not like I sat in the car, you know, when he was doing payment exchanges and invoices and, yeah. you know, problem solving. I was in front of the customer. I was there. I think bringing our children and in, like to influence them, not just tell them, oh, yeah, you should go make some lemonade and sell it for 50 cents each, but, but actually putting, like demonstrating to them how to do it you know, whether it be in your own business or with them collaboratively, I think that's a probably a really, 
important takeaway as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. They, they, they need to learn. They need to be exposed, not learn. They need to be exposed to it at an early age um, because they won't learn that at school. Yeah. They won't learn that anywhere else unless they, you know, exposed to it at an early age with people they trust, like, you know, parents and um, yeah, family members that they trust. So mm. um, I think definitely it's it's that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And she want a job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I said the same thing, right? I was like, I'm employing her. The moment she turns like nine, ten, she's coming to work for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm gonna good. sit there. I'm gonna get her to do cold calls and cold canvassing because that's what it was. She was cold canvassing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cold canvassing is going up to people and saying, "Hey, buy this," you know, and and giving them a reason to. Obviously, she found that unique value proposition. I was just, I was like, you know what? How could you say no to a four-year-old? You know what? Sell the raffle tickets. For me, I was like, this is genius. You do it. But then she developed her own sales pitch. I was like, that's my daughter. That's my fucking daughter. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah. She turns around and says, do you have flowers at home? No. Ah, oh, well, then you should have some. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was brilliant. I'm like, I didn't tell her to say that. She, the lady actually looked at me. She's like, did you tell her? I go, no. <laughs> she just said it herself. So, yeah, man, that, that's awesome. The best part about that too, um, and I feel like you, as, you, as you grow, as you grow and mature into sales, you can, people can pick whether you're, um, you know, authentic or not. Mm. So with, with a four-year-old, she genuinely believes that if you don't have flowers in your home, you need yeah. to have flowers. What do you have to have flowers, right? Yeah. And you've got to take that into as you grow, you've got to have that same belief in your in your sales. Otherwise people won't believe you. That's right. You know, with a had you said, you know, you have flowers? No. You have flowers, you gotta have flowers. You gotta have flowers in your house. But it's not your job or or you don't believe in it or you don't you need believe you don't, you don't really believe that it, it needs to be done or need or you need to have flowers in your house it will be picked up straight away that's very easily so i think also with that um comes authenticity to your sale um and you need to believe in your product yeah so if you don't believe in your product it's hard to sell you can't sell some people can yeah lie <laughs> but right. um it's very hard to sell so um, yeah, but that's cool that she's doing that for. That's awesome. That's right. Tony, mate, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I definitely would love to to catch up again in the near future, see how things are progressing, talk about other things. You know, maybe you have a story to tell me about you taking your son on a job site <laughs> or an argument, whether it's called soccer or football, you know, <laughs> or one or the other, right? Uh, mate, thank you so much. And to everyone listening at home, uh, you know, or in the car or you know, in their office, wherever they may be. Actually, where did you listen to the podcast? Um, on Spotify. Yeah, but when, where were you when you were listening? At the gym. At the 4.30 in the morning. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Whether you're at the gym, 4.30 in the morning. Uh, if you want to find out more about Tony, where can people find you? Um, well, we're on socials. So Instagram and Facebook, Link Property Developments or Link PD. Um, you can find us on there. Our, con our contact details on there. Um, my direct email is tony at linkpd.com.au if you want to shoot me an email. Um, and uh, numbers and all that are on the websites and, and stuff like that. So I think our 
findings is basically social media and website. They're our you know, main main source of um, finding out details and getting in touch. Perfect, fantastic. And look, you know, if you had a question for Tony, and you know, by all means, maybe you got the email wrong. I hope you didn't, because it's a lot easier than linkpropertydevelopments.com.au, right? Um, you know, you can always email us as well at support at launchday.au and you can visit our website to find out more about Tony as well. That is podcast.launchday.au. Tony, thanks so much for coming by and everyone that's listening at home, we'll see you again at the next episode.